it probably comes as a surprise to absolutely nobody that I'm a bit of a nerd outside of just the Bible and theology. But I'll be honest, things like Star Trek never really stuck with me. I only know maybe three things about the whole Star Trek universe, but within those three things, one thing that I know with absolute certainty is that Dr. Spock would be absolutely ashamed to be a part of our discussions because the way that many people think about abortion is completely illogical. Hey everybody, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And this episode will be a continuation on our series as we are just discussing abortion and how we think about it. Uh, In the last episode, I kind of laid the groundwork about why I'm doing things in the order I'm doing, and I explained why, despite wanting to equip Christians with a biblical worldview, I'm not just going to be throwing out a bunch of Bible verses to support myself, but instead equipping us to think with a biblical worldview, a mind that is fully surrendered to Christ. And part of that is to love truth as Christ loves truth. And so last week we talked about the science and the universe and how God has designed things to function. And in this episode, I want us to talk about logic and why, logically speaking, we cannot dehumanize the unborn. No matter what their stage of development is, we're going to talk about why our common arguments for abortion just don't add up if we're going to be consistent with those beliefs and apply them fairly across every area of life. Now, when it comes to supporting abortion, there are some who will simply say that the unborn fetus is not human at all. But for the most part, most people would say that, yes, they are human, but not human enough. There is something they have or something they lack that makes it more acceptable to terminate them if the mother so desires. And as we discussed last week, what this ultimately does is it dehumanizes the unborn. It makes abortion and the termination of a fetus more palatable because we realize that, yes, we are terminating a living organism, but that clump of cells, that fetus, that unborn thing that looks like an alien, it's it's subhuman. It's not human enough for us to feel that we need to protect it the same way we would protect a three-year-old child. However, when it comes to how we think about the unborn, it's important that we look at these arguments systematically. And by that, I mean, we don't just look at them in isolation and say, well, it doesn't look human enough, so it's not human. And that works for my argument against abortion. We need to take that argument and apply it everywhere else and say, is this a consistent and logical way to think about the world? That if something doesn't look human enough, it can be aborted. And we can apply that to a variety of arguments that we make for abortion. And that's ultimately what we're going to do in this episode is we're just going to take several very common and popular arguments and say, okay, if this makes an unborn child less than human, then how is this going to reach into other areas of life and of society? And are you willing to stick by your logic and reasoning? Because people can make these arguments, absolutely, but they need to be very consistent in what kind of world this would create and what kind of worldview is necessary for this to be a viable argument for abortion. Now, As I hinted at in the last episode, I really want to just start this off by saying that it doesn't matter what we think. 
It, it really doesn't. How we feel about an unborn child does not add or take away its humanity. But as we're talking to people and as we ourselves are thinking about abortion, we need to strip away these lies that we tell ourselves or these ways that we comfort ourselves so that we can be more okay with what's happening and instead look at why abortion is just a completely illogical thing. But regardless of, again, how logical or illogical we think it is, there is an absolute truth and reality to abortion that is far above and beyond how we personally feel about it. But that being said, first, let's talk about the logical argument that humans or that the unborn are okay to abort because, number one, they lack viability outside the womb. Now, this is a very common argument, and what this basically boils down to is that a two-week-old baby can't survive on its own. It has to be attached and fed by its mother in order for the child to grow and develop and basically just survive. And so there are just many things about the unborn that as it grows and develops, these change or these become less problematic. But ultimately, let's start with a, a one-week-old fetus. People would say that that fetus doesn't have the mental capacity to understand things. They would say that it can't breathe without assistance. Its lungs aren't developed enough. They would also say that its heart just can't sustain it, or just in general, its other systems aren't developed enough. And before the age of 22 weeks, these are all very true. A child born before 22 weeks, I don't think has any hope of surviving without some severe medical intervention that I'm not even sure science is capable of right now. But even after 22 weeks, and I say 22 weeks because that is the cutoff that most states and even most people will say is an appropriate time window to abort a child. Anytime before 22 weeks, people say, you know, it's unfortunate, it's sad, but it's okay because that child isn't fully human, it's not fully developed. But even after 22 weeks, though, a premature baby's odds of survival are still very dependent on modern medicine. You are not going to go to some poor country or even go back in time before you know good modern interventions were around and have a child born premature and have it survive it happened on occasion but for the most part a child that does not reach a full development is not going to survive without a lot of assistance right it's it cannot on its own survive and so that's the argument made then is that well the unborn are just not developed enough. They don't have all the organs. They don't have you know, everything fully made that makes them a human being. And so we can abort them because they just can't survive otherwise. But we have to, have to ask ourselves, why does this justify giving the unborn a lesser designation of humanity simply because it can't survive on its own? Because it is dependent on its mother to, to provide for it and to supply it with everything it needs in order to live. And so here's what we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, let's take this logic of unviability and let's make it go equally across everything else a person must believe in order for this to be a logical and reasonable argument. And what this ultimately boils down to and what this has to imply is that we only value life based on how competent or self-supporting it can be. Because remember, the arguments are either that it doesn't understand enough, it doesn't it doesn't have the capability to think or to understand the world, or it doesn't have the biological capability to support itself. And that makes it okay to terminate it. Well, are we willing to apply this across all areas of life? 
Are we willing to say that you are only human if you meet a certain mental or physical standard? Because taken to its logical conclusion, this argument can't just stop with the unborn. We have to apply it and say that your humanity is dependent and dictated on your personal functionality or your personal capability. So there are some who would argue for sterilizing and terminating the mentally handicapped. And they would say that we don't want them to reproduce or we don't want them in society because these people see them as a burden or as a problem, something that drags down everyone else around them. But throughout the world, most people would say, no, you can't take away someone's human rights to, to reproduce or especially not to live just because they are mentally less developed than someone else. But if we're going to be consistent to this argument, then we have to say that there is a certain threshold that someone has to meet, mentally speaking, with intelligence, with, with personal independence, with thought, in order for them to be designated as human and therefore to be worth having their rights to live protected. And this argument doesn't allow for that. This argument says that we can make a cutoff on mental clarity or mental capability or mental strength or competence that says you need to be protected, but you do not. And we can apply this with the support systems. There is a sadly growing idea in the world right now of euthanizing the elderly or those who are, again, a burden on society. And this idea comes in that, well, they can't survive on their own, so we have to take care of them. And since we have to take care of them, their worth, their value is less. And so we are more okay with terminating them versus, say, a healthy 25-year-old woman who has a full-time job or is able to raise their children or is able to basically be a good and functioning member of society. And so according to this logical worldview, if we're going to say that we are okay with killing a creature because they can't survive without us, we can't just stop simply because of the location. We can't just say, well, because they're in the womb, it's okay to kill them. That doesn't make sense. A, a human being's worth doesn't come from their location. It comes from whether they are or aren't a human being. And so from there, there's also no reason to argue against eugenics. Now, eugenics is, I guess to put it simply, and maybe to add a touch of humor to a heavy conversation, eugenics is basically the idea of creating designer babies. It's, it's the idea of breeding out physical and mental abnormalities, whether through direct scientific intervention and messing with genetics, or whether it's, you know, killing children who will grow up with some kind of physical or mental abnormality or deformity. Again, under this belief system, there is no reason to argue against killing anyone that does not reach a certain physical or mental threshold that our society deems as valuable and worth protecting. And I guess before moving on, I do want to address kind of a false argument that people will make related to this. And they will say that, well, we need to... We need to protect the unborn because they can be kept alive earlier in the womb. And so people make this argument that because science allows us to protect life and to keep the, a, a premature baby alive earlier, that therefore we should you know, reduce or remove the timing of abortion. And I just want to say that while that makes sense on its own, I do not want to at all make an argument that says because we can protect them, we need to protect them. Or because we can protect them now they should be seen as more human or more worth protecting. Because what that ultimately boils down to is saying that in a country where the unborn cannot be kept alive 
as early, then we need to be more okay with abortion in that situation. And that's not what we can argue. Again, either it's human and worth protecting, or it's not human and can be killed because it's not killing a human being. So while, yes, science is valuable in helping us to, you know, help small children who are either in the womb and need medical intervention to survive, or they are born premature and would die without medical intervention, those are incredible blessings from God, and we are so thankful for the doctors and scientists that have gotten us to that point. But even in a situation where those things don't exist, a child is still fully human being, regardless of whether it is in a bed or in a womb. Now, somewhat related to that, but I think this deserves its own discussion, and that is that up to a certain point, a fetus, an unborn child, is not able to feel pain, and therefore it's more okay to abort them before they hit this threshold where their nerves can start registering sensations. Now, this tends to occur around 19 to 20 weeks. So within, as I said, people will say up to 22 weeks is fine. There are some people who would say, no, as long as they can't feel pain, it's okay to abort them. And again, this ultimately just boils down to a way of coping with what abortion is, but it doesn't make sense when taken to its full conclusion. Because again, if we are basing whether abortion is right or not on whether the unborn are fully human or not, whether we can dehumanize them or not, then if we say, oh, well, it all matters on if they can feel pain, and somehow that that helps us be more okay with it, it helps us cope with it, then again, what is this implying? It's implying that what makes us human is being conscious of something that stimulates our senses. In other words, the only thing that makes us human is our ability to feel sensations, to be aware of our environment and things happening to us. And that's the only thing that makes us human. That's the determiner, that's the cutoff point between human and subhuman. Likewise, it also implies that terminating life or murder is only wrong if the one being killed can feel it. So if we can kill something without them experiencing the sensations or the pain of it, then it's okay. And then in a very broad sense, we say that life is only valuable under certain circumstances. So we say that if someone can feel pain, their life is valuable. They're, they need to be protected. We need to enact laws. We need to be morally opposed to it. We need to say that God hates it only if a certain circumstance is met. And that circumstance in this case is the ability to feel pain. But otherwise, we have to say that they, society or the government shouldn't protect these human beings. That it is morally okay, or at least a moral gray area, to end their life, and that God is okay with their existence being terminated simply because they can't feel pain. And now, I want to say, I get it. And I think that we we should understand where people are coming from when they find comfort in this thing. And I want to maybe help explain it through a personal example of why, as long as something's not suffering or we don't know that it's suffering, we are more okay with terminating it. So my personal example is with my own family. So when it gets cold, in the past we have had problems with mice. They like to you know, come in from outside and get warm within our walls. And over time, they have started chewing little holes in our walls that gives them access to our kitchen and our bedrooms and things like that. Now, if you've ever dealt with mice, they're cute and they're fun, but they also leave little surprises everywhere. They're very unclean and they can they can make you sick. And so we do what most people do and we lay mouse traps on the outside of our home so that they are 
not coming into our kitchen and things like that. Now, I live in a house with five other people, my wife and four kids, and I am the only one that has any interaction whatsoever with the mice situation. Other people are aware of them, other people want the mice gone, but nobody else wants to deal with the mouse traps. No one wants to deal with setting them and cleaning up and dealing with the fact that there's a dead creature that needs to be gotten rid of. Now, why is that? Why are they okay with me getting rid of the mice, but they're not okay with doing the ridding themselves? Well, ultimately, it boils down to the fact that a, a living animal is no longer living. Something is being killed. It's being purposely removed from existence. And that's a hard thing for people to deal with. People don't like that reality. But if they simply know that there's mousetraps somewhere where people need to keep their fingers away from, if they know that that snapping sound means that dad needs to be summoned to deal with it, then they're okay with what's happening because they, they know, they're aware, but they aren't encountering, they aren't dealing with the reality that that something is being killed and something is probably feeling for just a split second a moment of pain before it dies. And now that's a that's a that's a heavy and kind of difficult comparison for some people I know because some people say, oh, they're mice, whatever. Some people will, you know, they'll see them as living creatures and they don't want them to suffer and die. But that proves my point in that people are not okay with killing babies. They aren't okay with living creatures suffering and dying. So if we can find a way, find a justification that removes us from engaging with the reality of what's happening to them, then we become more okay with it as long as we don't have to deal with the messiness. Now, for my family and mice, it's not seeing it. But for other people, it's the reality that, you know, as long as they don't feel pain, as long as the fetus is not being hurt or experiencing some kind of suffering, then I'm okay with it ending. And all that does is that that is a weird lie. It's a weird justification that we make that, again, logically doesn't make sense. But illogically, irrationally, we can use it to feel better about what's happening so that we don't have to stand against abortion. We don't have to deal with the fact that human beings are dying up to a certain point. Now, number three is that people will justify killing the unborn based on how they look. Now, there was a Gallup poll that was revealing, but not super surprising. So people were asked which trimester should be the cutoff for receiving an abortion. So a trimester is a series of three months, and those tend to mark major developments in the unborn child's growth and how they change and how they are developing and things like that. So within those polled, 60% felt that the first three months of pregnancy should be the legal range to receive an abortion. So anywhere Again, up from, from day zero up till the third month of development, people, 60% of people were okay with abortion. Now, half of that, 28%, felt that it should be legal up to the second trimester. And then from there, only 13% thought that the last three months of pregnancy should be a legal time to terminate the child. Now, if you're doing math in your head, that is 101%, but with these polls, they tend to round up, so... Technically, it's 101%, but we, we know how these things work. So think about that, though. 60% said abort it in the first three months. Over half of that said, okay, we can go the first six months of life. And then only 13% said that a child should be legally able to be aborted at any time in the pregnancy. 
And that's kind of wild. We went from half the people being okay in the second trimester, and then only half of those people were okay going through the full nine-month pregnancy. And now we can be shocked, we can be sad, but, you know, if we apply logic to it, it does make sense why people would say that. Because, you know, some people, they may say that based on the level of development and viability. They may say it based on whether the child can feel pain. But even just in a broader sense, even if people don't have good scientific reasons for that, if we're being honest, and as a child of four, I think I can honestly say this, or as a father of four, goodness, child of two, <laughs> um, I think we can honestly look at how a child looks as it develops and say that, you know, they're not that cute in the first six months. So when it's, you know, very first born or conceived, it looks like just a little blob. And then that blob kind of grows into a weird shrimp looking thing. And then from there, they develop into these kind of big headed, little bodied alien looking things. And over time, they start taking on more human like features. But in those first three months, and even in those first six months, it looks less and less like what we would typically assign as, oh yes, this is what a baby looks like. This is what a human being looks like. And so down in the show notes, I will link a chart from uh, Stanford Children's website where they show kind of the development of uh, what they call fetal growth from eight to 40 weeks. But ultimately what we're looking at when we're looking at the unborn is that people are more okay with, with killing them the less human they look. Because again, in that first three months, doesn't look like much of a human being at all. It looks very deformed. It looks very strange. It looks very alien. And 60% of people say, yes, that thing can be removed from a woman's body. It can be terminated. Now, more people, but not all people, are less okay with it being terminated up to six weeks when it's starting to look more and more like a baby. And a very small amount of people are okay with once this thing looks like a full human child is when they're okay with aborting it. Now, again, we can look to why this is the case, and we can even see a similar mentality throughout history. So if you think of, for lack of a better term, the circus freaks of history, right? People who were born with deformities, whether they had dwarfism, whether they had you know, limbs that were deformed or missing, you know, the bearded woman, whatever it is, society at that time did not place value on people born differently. And so the only way that they could survive and get work is by basically being an attraction. They became a spectacle for people. People would pay money to go into a tent and gawk at and mock and be disgusted by human beings who just looked different. Now, today we look back on that with horror because how how could we say, oh, these people are less human because of how they look, how they think, how they developed? And we see that as a monstrous thing and we could not fathom letting that be a thing again today. But that same mentality, that same dehumanizing of someone simply because of how they looked and how they had developed is exactly the same kind of logic used when it comes to how far along in a pregnancy we are okay with aborting a child. And again, the logic of that just doesn't stand. It's not consistent. You know, I think back to my the ultrasound of my four children, and, you know, at eight weeks, they weren't very cute. At 36 weeks, they were a lot better to look at. They were a lot more adorable, and they looked a lot more like who they would 
grow up to to be, to be and to develop into, but that doesn't make them less human simply because of how they look. Just because they're less adorable or less properly proportioned or less developed doesn't mean that they are somehow less valuable, less worth protecting, because they're not any less human just because of how they look. So that is three ways that people will logically try to justify abortion. They will justify it based on how viable a child is, how able they are to feel pain, or simply how they look. Now, with all three of these, I pointed out the logical problem of this, and that is that logically we are assigning requirements that somebody has to meet in order to be human. And so we as people, and especially as Christians, we need to understand and decide what does it mean to be human? When does somebody become a human being? If people are measured by their mental or physical capacities, then we have no reason to reject exterminating certain sections of the population who are mentally underdeveloped or physically incapable of supporting themselves. If something is only human because it can understand and experience suffering, then we have a very low threshold and barrier for what it means to be human. And logically, that can't be the only thing that we use to say someone is or isn't worthy of being protected from being killed. And then finally, how a child looks, or even what it understands, can't be what comforts us into bowing down to societal pressure and saying that because of how it looks, I'm more okay with it being terminated. Or because it looks cute, because it looks more like a baby, that's when I'm willing to fight for it. That's when I'm willing to stay up and say, no, this is wrong. No, this is evil. Logically, we can't do that because that is inconsistent. We can't assign humanity based on whether something can survive on its own, whether it is mentally capable of thinking and understanding or even experiencing pain. And we can't base humanity based on how much we like how something looks. Either it is human or it's not human. There's no degrees. There's no ranges where we say something is closer to being worth protecting or farther from being worth protecting. You know, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we simply can't let anything measure whether someone is a human being or not. Now, we've talked about, you know, things about children, you know, like mental or physical capacity, how they look. But think of other ways that we try to assign or remove levels of humanity from people. Skin color, country of origin, their religion, their political beliefs. We have all these measures that we want to apply to people to say, you are more worthy, you are less worthy. But God doesn't do that. God says that people are people and that all of us have equal value because of that. And so, you know, again, this episode is really about tearing down those things that comfort us, right? Those logical arguments that we use to to be comforted, to not have to deal with the reality of what's happening. But the abortion debate comes down to a single question. Is a human life being ended? We saw scientifically that something either is or isn't human, and that if a man and woman conceive from that moment, that is a human being in the mother's womb. And so logically, it doesn't matter how we feel about it, how cute the baby is, how close to mental clarity and understanding and capacity it is, how physically enjoyable it is to look at, or how physically capable it is of surviving outside the womb, or once born, how physically capable it is of becoming a functional member of society. We can't base human life on how functional it is or how much it measures up to our idea of what a human should be. And so... 
as you're thinking about this episode and maybe you're preparing to talk to people or in the future when you're speaking to people, the reality is that people have these arguments. They have these logical comforts that they look at in isolation. And most people, as with a lot of parts of our lives, we don't always think through the logical conclusions that we have to come to. And we don't think about how consistently our belief about one thing must impact our belief about other things. So as you're talking to people, one thing we must always remember is that our goal isn't just to win arguments. It's not to make people look silly. It's to help them see truth. And in this case, it's to help them to see the truth of how God has designed the universe and how we as people who are capable of understanding truth can think about the unborn and understand that we have no choice but to either value all human life based on certain qualifications and therefore be okay with ending certain swaths of the population because they don't meet standards, or we realize that all people need to be loved and protected because they are human beings. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter if they live in a different country. It doesn't matter if they live in or outside of a womb. Human beings are valuable and need to be protected. And we want people to see that. We want them to see the reality of where their worldview has to lead. But within that, we also want to make sure that we aren't just trying to win an argument, but instead point people to the one who created human life, the one who loves human life, and the one who calls us as his followers to love all people. And so with that, we see that abortion, like every other sin issue, is more than just a societal thing, but it's a gospel issue. Because society will find all kinds of ways to place less value on certain human beings. But it's only through a mind fully surrendered to Jesus Christ that we can truly and fully come to a robust understanding of why human life is worth protecting. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.